Hello everyone, and welcome to the all-new Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast, powered by ForeverBlueShirts.com. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast. With me today is former NHL player, now turned broadcaster uh, for NBC, Philly, ESPN, and Westwood One, and also a member of the Philly Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, Colby Cohen. <laughs> What's up, that Colby? One, that was the surprising one that you threw Muzzle. in there. So I'm not, I'm not quite, I'm not quite the, the first balloter that Sam Rosen is, but I'm, I'm working on it. Or Kenny Albert. You know, those guys are first ballot, first ballot guys. I'm, I'm like a third or fourth ballot guy. You know, I work, I have to work with those guys a certain amount of games in the playoffs to, to get that first ballot nod. That's awesome. I, so we're, for everyone, we're doing this on a Zoom. So Colby and I could see each other. I could see he's got his dog. My dog's at my feet. Little, I, I have yeah. a mini poodle. I'm a five foot seven guy. Yeah, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Be, if I had a Saint yeah. Bernard, I'd look funny. Yeah. Well, we have a we have a big golden retriever, and then we have a little nine pounder uh, rescue too. And they'll, I'm sure they'll both make some some different cameos during the uh, awesome. during the the show. They're always around. So awesome. All right, so Colby, um, I'm really happy to have you on. Uh, I know that you know I, f- I follow you on Twitter, and you were actually tweeting out some information on on Tony D'Angelo, and as if as if the gods, the hockey gods, were like, you know what, I'm going to throw these two guys a bone before they get on this podcast. Tony D'Angelo, five days prior to his arbitration hearing, which I thought the Rangers would get close with him. Um, and you thought they would probably get all the way there. Uh, they signed last night, two year deal. I think it's a, a great deal for both sides. The AAV comes out to 4.8, probably a little less than what Tony wants, but in the reality of what free agency has been with guys, really some guys signing one year deals out of like, wow. Um, and guys really not getting what they want. I, I, I think it's a great deal for, for both parties for now. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he may kill me for saying, I think it's a great deal. Um, you know, I, cause I, I do talk to, talk to Tony pretty frequently. I, you know, we were from a similar neck of the woods and I've known him since he was, you know, a 15, 14 year old kid, I think was the first time I ever got out on the ice with him. He was 14 and people kept saying, you gotta, you know, you gotta see this kid. Like he's at the time I was still a pretty high end, you know, prospect I was a second round pick I think maybe I had just come off my first pro season um so everybody was like you got to get on the ice with him you got to talk to this kid you got to see him so I that was like my first introduction to him and I it's so funny because I remember um I remember what someone said who was close to the situation was I said like what kind of player is he and he said and again, this we're going back to when I was still, you know, this is going back, I guess, 10 years ago. And someone said, he's got every good trait that you had as a player. And he's every skill and every good trait and skill that Shaddy has. That was the way that they, they sort of told me. They were like, he's a right-handed best of you and best of him combined. Um, now we obviously know Kevin Shattenkirk has gone on to have a very impressive career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mine didn't quite go that way as a player, but at the time I remember thinking, geez, like 
you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good thing to say about a guy. Um, you know, you're saying he's got the best of a first round pick skills and talents and the best of a second round pick skills and talents who play the same position. So, um, I, I thought the deal, you know, kind of going back to it, I think, you know, when you look what other people are getting, I'd say that's probably in line because, you know, I think in a normal situation without a flat cap, I think that number would have been somewhere in the mid fives. But when you kind of look at, when you kind of look at what other people are getting, um, it, you know, they're all taking a little bit of a haircut on things and, and they're taking a smaller number. Now I think he wanted a third year because I think going right into unrestricted free agency would have been great for him. And the Rangers weren't having any of that. And nope. and unfortunately, for a player in his position, you just don't have any leverage. And it's not really about how good you are. It's about how good is your leverage. And, you know, how good you are leads to leverage. But when you're a restricted free agent, your arbitration case is not great because, you know, you haven't had sustained, you know, sustained type of success and you haven't played in the league that many years. Um I, they, they decided they had to come to terms. And what I could tell you is, is that when that first conversation started between his representation and the team, um, things moved along pretty quickly. Like it was not, uh, this was not something that took two weeks, 10 days, uh, even five days. I mean, the, the conversations started and finished, at, you know, within a pretty small window of time to get the deal done. Yeah, um, when the deal got when the deal was announced, uh, I contacted a couple of people I know uh, on the team side, and actually they, they reiterated what you just said, and that Pat Bryson, his his agent, you know he you know he understands he's a super agent, right? He understands the playing field. He got he understands everything. He understands the the inner workings, how thing how things have to get done, and they I got the same information that basically they were able to quickly hammer this out, which is fantastic because I. I think Tony is a phenomenal offensive defenseman. You know, uh, I'm, I'm of the old school 90s hockey kid, you know, like Edmonton Oilers. To me, your best defense was an even better offense. Uh, and the fact that he can control the puck, uh, keeps it in the zone, makes the right plays in the offensive zone. Uh, I, I think certainly any shortcomings he has in the defensive zone, which I really don't see too much of an issue. Uh, I guess it, it would help to have the right defensive partner as well. I think he, I think it's a fantastic deal and he's going to get paid when this deal is up too. So his career is, is definitely on the right trajectory without a doubt. But one thing um, that could be interesting is there's been some discussion about him moving to the left side. What are your thoughts on him playing the left side? Well, I think something you said that's really interesting actually is, is you talk a little bit about defense partner and I think continuity, it would be really helpful for him. And, you know, he hasn't had any of that in his career. It's, it's definitely been one defensive partner, one night, one defensive partner, another night. And uh, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't watch the Rangers as much last season as I did the season prior um, when, when I, Actually, the two seasons that Kevin Shattenkirk was on the Rangers, I happened to be up in New York for a lot of games. Um, I, I came up there. I saw, you know, more games at Madison Square Garden than I might have seen at the Wells Fargo Center that year. So, um, you know, I, I saw him much more that season. And I just remember that 
there were always it was always a, a different um, defensive partner. So giving him some continuity back there as an offensive defenseman, I think is really important. You know, I think the other thing, and I'm trying to look it up on my phone because I don't, I don't remember, I don't know his stat. Um, you know, his 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 stats, obviously off the top of my head, like career stats. I mean, because I'm trying to look up how many games played he has in the NHL. Um, because uh, what I would say, so he's played 200 games in the NHL. So I'm I'm looking at it right now. I pulled it up. So <clears throat> I, I mean. Ivan Provorov has been in has played more games in the NHL at this point and is still having to work out kinks in the defensive zone and work out young mistakes. I, I think people forget that he's still a relatively young defenseman. 200 games in the league is I mean listen, that's a good number. You're an NHL or if you play 200 games. But you know, you're not you haven't hit the top of your game yet at, at that point. So you know, his defensive game is going to mature and it's going to round out. Um, I, I don't really have an answer for you as far as how I think he'll be on the left side, other than the fact that I played the left side my entire, you know, college career and loved it. I was a right shot defenseman. I played with Kevin Shattenkirk all three years at BU. I played the left side. I loved it because I, I you know, like some of the advantages of being able to pull the puck from my back end of my forehand and have the middle lane, like as a passer, you have the middle vision of the ice rather than when you're on your strong side to pass it to the middle of the ice, you've got to pass it across your body. So I liked it. Most NHL GMs and coaches, they don't like having guys on their offsides. It's, it's kind of rare. Most of these teams are preaching lefty righty. So um, I don't really know. I think he's a smart player. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that could figure it out no matter which side he plays. He's got the skill to play on his backhand. You know, not every guy is skilled enough to play on their backhand as an offside defenseman because you're going to take pucks on your backhand, uncomfortable, in your skates, all of that type of stuff. You know, if a forward in the offensive zone wraps it around the wall to you up at the point and you're on your offside, chances are you're using your backhand or your foot to dig it off the wall and then get it to the middle where if you're on your strong side, it's easy to put your stick right along the dasher and then pull it off the wall and, and make that transition. So, um, you know, I would love for him to have the same partner for long stretches of time next season in New York and throughout his career. I think it's going to help his defensive game. And I also think that, you know, he couldn't be with a better coach to round out his defensive game and to mature uh, as far as someone who's going to hold him accountable and kind of give it right back to him, which sometimes, you know, a player needs. Awesome. <clears throat> so interestingly enough, I figured, you know, what it would be nice to talk about Kevin Shattenkirk. First off, Kevin Shattenkirk wanted to come to New York. And since he's obviously you've probably spoken to him about it. Uh, whatever you could divulge is great. Whatever you can't, you can't. But I mean, I think he's is pretty obvious that it didn't go his way. I don't think he was expecting to be bought out. I don't think any player really is. He was hurt for the most of the time while he was here. He had a bad knee. He tried to play on it. Had surgery. Uh, I, I think it just was. It was just not working out for a multitude of reasons. Um, he got bought out. He goes to Tampa. 
God bless him. He wins a Stanley cup. I'm really happy for him. I couldn't be happier for Kevin to be perfectly honest, just because the way it played out, it's a great story. Um, can I tell you, can I tell you something? Please. I think that David Quinn and Jeff Gorton are also very happy for him. And, and I think that I don't think the team wanted to buy him out. I just yeah. don't think they felt like they had another option. I, I think that it was a harder decision for them because they didn't want to do it either. And, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. And, you know, the, the, the relationship between Shaddy and David Quinn is, is very well documented. Quinny was with us all at Shaddy's wedding. Um, you know, we go back with Quinny to being 14 years old. Um, I mean, and, and that's not an exaggeration and, and played firm in the American league as a head coach in college. I mean, it's the history is all over the wall. So, um, you know, you're, you're nailing it on the head when you're sort of talking about his, his, you know, time with the Rangers and, you know, what people don't realize is this is a guy who said no to $50 million to play right down the road with more guarantee, with, with more years, more money less taxes. I mean, you name it. And he, it was important to him to be a New York Ranger. And I can tell you this, he doesn't regret it. Even though it ended the way it did, he always wanted to be a New York Ranger. It was important to him to wear that sweater. And granted, he, of course, he, he wanted to win as a Ranger and he, and he wanted things to end well there as a Ranger, but uh, there's no regrets there from him. And um, other than, you know, he wishes that he would have been healthy and he would have been able to show New York what what he's been for. I mean, how many years has he been in the NHL? Like 10, 11 seasons. Yep. And he's had nine incredibly good seasons. And the one, you know, the, the one and a half kind of rough seasons, unfortunately, happened in New York. So, um, you know, it's it's it was a it was a shame how it all ended. But like you said, I mean, he. uh He'll have his name engraved on the Stanley Cup for, for till the end of time. So good for him. Absolutely. And when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to talk about David Quinn. And uh, we'll do that in two seconds. And we're back. All right, Colby. So um, you played for David Quinn from 2007 to 2010, if I am correct, for BU. Correct? Got that right? That sounds right, yeah. All right. So what and in the American League too. I started my pro career. He was my head coach in the in Lake Erie in the AHL. Right, because I believe for a brief period of time, uh David Quinn was an assistant coach for the Avalanche. Right. He went from he left BU uh as the assistant coach to take the head coaching job in in Lake Erie. And the interesting thing was was Colorado had like four draft picks on BU. So they were constantly coming to visit us at BU. Shaddy and I were the first and second round pick. Brandon Yip was a was like a late round pick who ended up playing for the team for a couple of years. So Craig Billington and their whole staff, they were constantly coming to BU. They've def- they they formed this relationship with Quinny. And then they go and they freaking lure him away from BU to go be the head coach in the American League for I think two years before they elevated him to assistant coach in Colorado. Just to put a bow on sort of the history of it a little bit. Awesome. And I appreciate that. But so let's talk about David Quinn, uh, the coach. So I'm pretty sure you said you've watched a lot of Ranger games and you, you played for the man, you know him well, you know, his system, you know what he tries to do. Um, The first question I want to ask is the way the Rangers play today, obviously personnel impacts a lot. 
We're, no matter how you want, you know, he didn't have Artemi Panarin in, um, you know, BU or wherever he's coached, but he's got Panarin now. He's got Zibanejad. He's got these, these star players, right? And they're, these are, these are veterans. So it's different than coaching, you know, some young players as well. But from a style standpoint, from, from the, a system standpoint, what he did as a coach while you were there, are you seeing similar things or are you seeing a different type of coach at the NHL level? So when I, when I played for him uh, at BU, he was running the defense. He was the associate head coach. Um, Jack Parker was the head coach. And, and uh, Jack is uh, very they're, – they're all very stubborn guys, we'll say. Um, they, they, so it was always like pretty interesting because sometimes our coaches at BU really had a difference in philosophy, whether it was Quinny, Jack Parker, or Mike Davis, three people that are, so not, you know, those are hockey names. People, people know who those guys are. And, uh, what I can tell you that reminds me is, is the, the, the habits and the little things that I see when the Rangers are actually playing well and being successful those are things that I recognize. Um, I recognize the defense gapping up. I recognize, I mean, he's something that Quinny will say until he has no voice left is skate and move your feet. Those are two things that I still hear him when I dream at night, if <laughs> I am having a dream about getting yelled at by Quinny. So um, when I watch the way some of the defensemen play when they're playing well, when I watch the way some of the forwards play, the way they back check and come through the middle, the way they're constantly putting pressure on you, they're in your face, the way the defense, you know, really aren't giving much up in the way of space. Like I watch how, um, you know, Tony gaps up. I mean, they take a lot of ice in the offensive zone. He wants you take ice in the offensive zone. Don't just back off the blue line, take ice in the defensive zone, get moving, no crossovers. When you pivot, you're, you're, you're swinging your foot in before you're going out. You're never crossing your feet, giving those opportunities to forwards to, you know, make you look funny. Now, granted, that's going to happen from time to time to any defense. So a lot of the little things and the little habits, those are things that I really, truly recognize. Um, I think as far as like an actual system goes, you know, I think that's really personnel related. I think that the first year, like last year with Quinny as the head coach, they didn't have or sorry, two seasons ago, and they didn't have Panarin. Zibanejad had started to have his coming out party, but he hadn't really cemented himself, you know, into that position yet. You know, the team didn't, you, know, you add Artemi Panarin and everything really changes. Truba, you know, who they pay a lot of money to is supposed to come with a lot of skills. Anthony comes into his own a little bit. Fox comes in. So I'm, I'm talking his first season where mm -hmm. I, I just noticed uh, that the team played a very simple game. And I think he tried to adjust to what the talent level was and what the skill level was on his team. And, you know, so I can't say that I necessarily recognize things from a systematic standpoint, but the habits of having good sticks, being in guys' faces, that team played fast. They played with pace. They probably overachieved two years ago, even though they didn't make the playoffs. They really were in every single game. They would lose these games by a goal. They couldn't score because they didn't have the offense. But they were, they were not an easy win for anybody, even though they were sort of towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference. So, you know, those types of things, the, the work ethic and, and the, the, the little details of the game, I felt, were things that Quinny brought to this team 
that I think, you know, are things that he's very well known for in the game of hockey. And it's like the details, um, doing things that are a little bit uncomfortable because it's a little bit harder, not taking a shortcut, stopping on a puck, coming, you know, stopping on the net, developing all these little habits that I think he does such a nice job at teaching. And those are things that I absolutely have recognized within the Rangers when they're winning and they're successful over the last couple of years. Now, I think where they've fallen short is that they miss on, on the consistency of that. I think that that's really the next step for this team is to do the things that you've seen in flashes with some level of consistency. All right. So another, so obviously I think what you just said about them being in games is a testament to Quinn and who he is as a coach. Which leads me into my next question. What kind of a coach is he? There's, all, every, there's so many different types of head coaches. There, there are hands-off head coaches. The Alain Vigneault was the last Rangers coach. He was kind of like X's and O's. Here's my system, but he'd leave the locker room alone. Mm-hmm. How would you put Quinn? Is he, he looks like an X and O kind of guy. He looks like a guy who loves to teach, but he also looks like a general on the bench, that he's, he's, he's with the group, he's always set talking, and that he doesn't leave it just on the ice and on the bench. He's in the locker room. And doing mm-hmm. the same thing there. How would you say Quinn was while you were with him? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, college is a lot different. And even the American League, I mean, those are development leagues. Uh, the NHL is not a development league. The NHL is a win or get fired league. So, um, you know, uh, the Quinny that I know is is very involved. I mean, very involved with everything. And even though he was the defensive coach at BU, he worked with Colin Wilson all the time, who was our, you know, our stud forward, went seventh overall, played in the league for 10 plus years. Um, like Quinny, Quinny was very involved with everything. He was involved with the power play, the penalty kill. I mean, even in the American League, you know, watching film, usually the assistant coaches are the ones doing video with you and Quinny will do video with anybody, even as a head coach in the NHL, he is. So, um, you know, I think you're right in, in what you're seeing. He is very different than Elaine Vigneault. He's constantly teaching. Um, he's constantly involved. He, he's got his, his finger on, on everything. Uh, I think what's, what's probably happening with him, though, is that he's learning that, um, you know, your older certain players and, and you know, some of your older players, uh, you probably you know, you treat a little bit differently than your young players, your, 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 your younger guys who who are developing. Um, I think, you know, going from college to the NHL, there's always an adjustment period, um, really for anything, you know, it's just a, it's a different group. It's, it's a different type of guys, you know, there's a a lot of money involved. So that obviously changes things, but um, I've definitely been impressed with some of the things that Quinny has done as an NHL coach, because you know, it seems to me that he really treats everybody the same. And, um, you know, I think that he will hold a guy who makes $10 million accountable the same that he'll hold a guy who makes 900,000 accountable. And that can get you into trouble at times, but it also really gives you the respect of players. And uh, I think players respect David Quinn, even at times where they probably can't stand him. Um, I know for me personally, and I know he would say the same thing uh, about me. 
Um, you know, like Quinny, there were times where he probably wanted to drag me out back and beat me over the head. And I think that there were times where I was ready to kill him on the bench or in a film session. Um, and, but there was always this underlying respect that I had for him. And, uh, there was always this point of like, you know, a lot of swear words under my breath, but I knew he was right. And, you know, obviously I was, I was a young guy, but I was, you know, I was a, a, a decently high draft choice and an all American. And, you know, at that level in college, you know, that would, you think that would give you a longer leash and, you know, you're treated like one of, it, it just, it, it never mattered to him that it, it just didn't, it didn't matter who you were. Um, you know, he was always going to work to make you better and he was going to hold you accountable um, you know, obviously there's times where you pull back. Sometimes you push forward. Uh, I was always a guy who I think he knew could handle it. And so when an example had to be made, I was somebody that the coaches at BU, whether it was Jack or Quinny, looked to, to use me as, as an exa- someone they could make an example out of. Um, and, and that was fine because, again, my, my respect levels were so high for, for him that the times where I really just – you know, was frustrated and wanted to kill the guy. Um, you know, I, it, it, it outweighed that. So when you think about what type of coach he is and it's usually, well, is he a player's coach or not a player's coach? Well, I think Quinny is that hybrid of you really respect him and he really respects you back. So even the uncomfortable moments, your ears don't close. You still listen to him when you're annoyed or frustrated at him um, you know, cause you're not always going to agree and the more money you make, the less you might probably likely to agree, but he has this way of commanding respect. When he walks into a room, he definitely knows how to, you know, uh, garner your attention and get you to look up at him. And I think he's also fair in the way that when there's things he wants you to work on, he'll get out there and work on them with you. And he'll show you how to do it. He'll watch the film with you. He'll take the time. He's not pawning it off on someone else. And that type of commitment and respect, I think, you know, guys, they notice that. They respect that. They appreciate that. So, um, you know, I've I've always appreciated that about Quinny, probably more after I played for him than when I played for him. Um, And, you know, I, I... for me personally, I, I can honestly tell you there was a, a big difference in my entire career after I got traded away from a place that I played for him because that's what happened. I was traded away from the abs. He was my coach there. Um, he held me to a different standard and he cared so freaking much, prob- maybe too much um, because of our connection, our history, he knew me since I was a young kid, a teenager, a young teenager, not not an 18 year old, a 14 year old. Um, and you know, things never, never really got back on track when, when I was no longer playing sort of under his watchful eyes. So, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of those traits are, are important in the modern day coach, um, in the modern day success. And, and I think that people in New York appreciate that, uh, players, managers, and all, all these different things. So, um, you know, my experience with him was, you know, not always a perfect experience while in the moment, but one that I appreciated and respected. And I think that's the, the biggest word that you, you try to take away is, is respect. And, and 
Um, you know, I, I would assume that he'll continue to do that and he'll probably continue to develop just like we were talking about Tony D'Angelo has only played 200 games in the NHL. Well, how many games has Quinny coached in the NHL, right? Not, not, not a ton. Two full seasons. Exactly. So, you know, you got to think that the guy's going to continue to get better, to learn, to learn the league. I mean, it, you know, there's a reason some of these guys have been around for so long and every time they get fired, they get rehired, um, which is a whole nother story that you can you know, sometimes shake your head about, but, you know, ultimately, you know, there's a reason for it. No, I hear you. Um, before we jump into our next session and take a break, I do want to say, so you mentioned David Quinn was at Shaddy's wedding. So he looks like a fun guy. He like his personality comes through on some of these interviews that he's doing with MSG or, you know, he, he's, he, he had a, a little sit, sit down with Brian Leach on a show, he looks like a really funny guy. Can he let loose? Did he let loose at Chatty's wedding? Like, does he have a really good time? Can he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not gonna. I, I guess it, I'm not sure. Um, let loose would be the the term, but like, <laughs> yes, I, I think that the the personality that you see with Quinny is real. I think it's very genuine. He has a big personality. Um, you know, he's he's got you know, close relationships in his life, um, that, you know, you'll, you don't necessarily get to witness. Um, he, he's, he could hold court. You know what I mean? If he's, if he's sitting around a group of guys, he has no problem holding court and having, you know, entertaining and, and funny and, and, and good things to say, you know, you guys definitely see this very serious and polished version of him that you know does show his personality like he definitely has a personality you know Quinny obviously is a head NHL coach he sleeps eats and breathes hockey but he also has another life with you know his 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 personal life his former players um you know he's involved in other things and and uh yeah I mean he look is he's a he's He's a fun guy to go have dinner with or drink beers with. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when that sort of guard comes down a little bit, um, you know, he's, he's an honest guy. I remember uh, during his first season at, as head coach at BU, the team was, was really bad. I mean, he, he came back to BU and things had kind of gone off the wire a little bit there and the recruiting was, was not done right. And, and it was, it was a mess for him his first season. I mean, his next season, I think they went to the national championship game. So, you know, it was, a, it was a big difference, but I remember like just drinking beers with him. Um, uh, we, I, I was no longer at school. I left a year early and, and maybe it was two years later and I came up to Boston. I went to a game, you know, just to watch. And then we went out and had a couple of beers and, you know, his, his guard is down and he's beside himself because the thing with Quinny is, is Quinny hates losing more than he likes winning. And I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but, but there is a difference. He hates losing more than he likes winning, like hates to lose. And they were bad that year. And, you know, he was beside himself and, and just sort of like, his brain was working on overdrive, trying to figure out like, what can I do with this group to try to make them successful? And, you know, you can just see that humanity in him and, and sort of that, that, that personality, the care. I mean, it was like an emotional thing for him. It wasn't, it wasn't anger. It was emotion. And, you know, it, it, he, he, he's a good, like that human side of him that just go drink some beers, go to a wedding with him, 
you know, be around him and his girlfriend. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's definitely, he, he's a fun guy, you know, he's probably not taking his shirt off on the dance floor um, and, <laughs> and doing, doing any type of champagne showers, but, but he's, he's, you know, he does have that sort of human, you know, some of these guys are like robots, some of these hockey people, right? Like they're just, they're robots 24 hours a day. And, and that's just not who he is. He's, he's, you know, there's a reason his former players invite him to the wedding. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a reason he was at Brandon Yip's wedding uh, years prior. I mean, I don't think he was coaching in the NHL at that point. I think he was the head coach at BU, but um, and, you know, uh, one day he'll be invited to mine. So um, he, he, you know, he has that connection, that personality, uh, you know, when you're with him, whether it's on the golf course or whether you're, you know, having a beer with them and, and it, it does exist in him. So, um, you know, it's, it's genuine what you guys get as, as media members of the, the Rangers organization. It is very genuine. Um, and I think he's done a really nice job of, of being a genuine upfront guy who doesn't come off as being a fraud or being a phony with the media. And, you know, I think that's, that's, you know, been a good thing for him in New York. Awesome. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break again. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Colby's career. All right, Colby, let's talk about how hard it is to become an NHL player. So, you know, you came onto the scene. This, this is your first hockey game. You're playing the Dallas Stars. Your very first game, you take, you have 29 shifts, plus one, four penalty minutes, one shot on goal. You played 18-27 of ice. Your first game as a defenseman in the National Hockey League. You shut out Jamie <laughs> Benn, Mike Ribeiro, and the pretty damn decent Dallas Stars offense. That's a hell of a st- – your first game is a shutout as a defenseman. That's pretty damn good. You play three games in total. Pretty, pretty decent numbers, but you're proof positive of just how hard it is to make this league and to stay. So talk about, you know, you're a top college player. You're here with the Colorado Avalanche, but what, what – do you think you could have done better or what didn't happen for you that might've made it a longer NHL career? What do you think? Yeah. So it's, it's funny to, to hear you pull up those stat lines. Hockeyreference.com. God bless you guys for putting that site together. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been, it seems like it's a different lifetime ago for me, but um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was, it was, those games were, were awesome because I, I was thrown right into the fire and it was like, you'll, they, they, they trusted me so much. And so I had no time to think, you know, when you're sitting on the bench minutes at a time, you, you've got all this time to dwell and to think. And the, the funny thing is, is the penalties that I ended up with were, um, uh, they were like, even, even up penalties. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think Jamie Ben and I got like matching minor. I don't, I, I, I just remember the game was very physical, especially like later in the game. And there was a lot of that stuff. And, you know, it's funny because our decor like wasn't a huge decor. It, we had a smaller group of guys kind of between Lyles and Shaddy was playing. Um, you know, I think footy was injured or out or something like that. So I got right in, I played on the first power play. We get a five on three uh penalty power play in that game i go out on the first power play unit with hey duke 
at the other point, him and I, um, they really, they wanted me to be this right-handed shot. That was it. You know, like that was sort of what my, what, what I was known for coming out of college was my shot and the way that I had shot the puck. And, and that was really what they were interested in there in Colorado. Um, and I actually took a puck off the mouth in that game on a five on three penalty on a power play. He went, to, a guy went to clear it. It ramped up my stick, hit me in the mouth. Um, and then, uh, we won the, we won, we won the puck back. It never cleared. And then a couple passes later, Chris Stewart scored a five on three goal. I think I had the third assist on the play, of course, but, <laughs> but, that, but I kept the puck in with my mouth. So the boys, they appreciated that much, but. And then the next night, I think I played like 22 or 23 minutes um, against Calgary. And then in my third game in Columbus, um, I was like completely sick with the flu. I was literally throwing up between shifts. I think I only played 12 or 13 minutes that night because I didn't play the third period. They took me out of the game and put me on an IV um, because like they were looking at me literally puking like after my shift. I I caught the flu somehow unlucky um, during a call up to catch the flu And, you know, I was very, very sick, was supposed to play two nights later in Detroit. um, But I said, guys, I can't like I was so sick, I couldn't play. And then they sent me down that night from Detroit. I didn't even I didn't even travel with the team back. So um, it is, you know, the funny thing is, is, is it's actually for me, it wasn't necessarily a hard it wasn't hard to make it. But what I didn't do well was once I made it, um, I took my foot off the gas. And uh, I think that, you know, when I uh, sort of think about why, you know, why things went the way they did, um, I I really point at myself. And I think that I got a little bit complacent. And uh, I think I thought that it was going to be easy because it was kind of easy early on. And um, I felt like the NHL was easier than the AHL. I think my three best pro games I ever played in were those first three games in Colorado were better than any game I played in the American League over the course of whatever I played, you know, in the American League over four years, whatever it was. So, um, you know, I think that the whole thing about trying to get better every day, I didn't necessarily buy into that as a young player. I thought once you were there, well, your skating's good enough. I just played in the NHL. Why, why do I need to keep working on my skating? Why do I need to keep working on my shot? All these things. And I just would go out to practice and I would practice and practice hard. And then that was it. And what I, what I've come to realize and appreciate now is, is that that's not it. That's, that's why you don't stay. That's why you make it on your talent, but you don't necessarily stay because you didn't work hard enough and you just didn't practice and, and put the time in that you probably put in in order to get there but then you took your foot off the gas. And, you know, I, I kind of use this, this guy is, he's an obvious, he's an obvious choice to me, but I, I, I talk about Patrick Kane a lot and I try to talk to, you know, when I talk to young players or, or I get asked to come speak to like a minor hockey team or whatever. um, You look at a guy like Patrick Kane, who has been a dominant player in the NHL for the last decade. He is better as a 31-year-old than he was as a 26-year-old, as a 27-year-old. And I bet next year he'll be better than he was last year. And you look at a guy like him, he continually works on his game. He's obsessed with getting better. He's obsessed with his game and getting better. Anthony D'Angelo is like that. 
he he's at the rink every day. He lives on the ice. All he obsesses over is getting better at hockey uh, when he's at work. And, you know, I'd say that those are the players that have these long careers. And I just have such respect for players who have been in the league for 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, I try to wrap my mind around that and I can't because I, I couldn't do it. Um, and I just respect it so much because it is really hard. It is not just you show up and you're that good. There is a work ethic that even, you know, you, you, you're in the 1% if you play it in the NHL because only what 15,000 guys at the most have ever played a game in the NHL. I mean, I remember the number like 10 years ago is like 8,000, seven or 8,000 people have ever played in the NHL. So now it's probably, you know, with all the turnover and the young players, it's probably like up to 15,000 people have ever played a game in the NHL. It's not a lot of people. Yep. It's not a lot of people. So you're already in the 1% if you make it, but then you have to go a step further to be in the 1% of the 1%. And those are the guys who it's just, it's really impressive what they do. I mean, uh, they obviously have the, 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 ret- the, 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 you know, the vision at that age to, to realize, you know, Patrick Kane, uh, I can't stay stagnant. I have to keep getting better. Even mm-hmm. in my thirties, I have to keep getting better. I, I mean, he, and he does, he finds a new way to get better every year. Panarin's the same way. This guy just gets better every single year. I mean, how easy would it be for him to just show up? He'll score. He'll still score 30. He could just show up and do that. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to score 50. He wants to have 120 points. It's just, you know, it's a mindset, it's a work ethic. And, you know, for me, you know, I ran into injury problems, you know, I ended up having to have my groin operated on twice, my hip operated on twice. Um, when I was traded, I was injured. Um, I had a, a, an issue with my wrist. And when I got traded to the Bruins, I had to sit out the first 60 days. Um, I never even got on the ice for the first two months because I was injured. And, the Bruins needed the cap space. They needed to get Hunwick's uh, cap number because they wanted Mark Savard to come back. So they didn't void the trade. I mean, they very well could have. When I showed up there, I had an issue with my wrist. Uh, I really couldn't couldn't get on the ice. They easily could have said, this trade is voided. You need to go back to Colorado. But they couldn't because of the cap issue, and they wanted Mark Savard to play. Um, and, you know, things just never really got on track there. And, uh, you know, I take a lot of blame for that. Um, you know, I think most of it was my own doing. Um, but you know, a lot of it is to do with a little bit of luck, a little bit of bounces, a little bit of opportunity. And, you know, um, now I'm in the broadcast booth and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on the game from there and, and, uh, trying to make sure that with that, uh, I'm constantly trying to get better every year because, you know, I'm not going to let, you know, any type of complacency, you know, leak into that like I did as a player. So, you know, I'm constantly pushing the envelope, challenging the people that I work for to give me more opportunity. Let me work with Sam Rosen, Kenny Albert, which I get to call games with both of those guys in the playoffs. Um, you know, and I just make sure that I take advantage of every one of those opportunities because, you know, had I known that game in Columbus was going to be the last time I went out for a regular season game. Uh, I probably would have treated, I wouldn't have let them take me off the bench, even though I was throwing my guts up. I would have just figured, Nope, I'm, I'm not, I'm not leaving the bench. Nope. You're going to have to literally drag me out of here. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a live and learn type of scenario and, and make sure you apply it to other areas of your life. 
um, and, and whatever it is that I'm, I do and that I'm involved with, but, you know, I ultimately don't have any regrets, um, because, you know, that's just like, why live with the regret of something that I'm never going to be able to change? You can't go back in history and change it, but I make sure that I learn from it and, you know, we'll never have that regret with anything else that I do, uh, or those feelings or thoughts with anything else that I do for the rest of my life. You know, I appreciate that. That's that's some sincere honesty there for sure. Uh, thanks for opening up. I think any young hockey players that maybe are listening to this podcast or in college, that's you did them a favor by by saying that. So I think that's cool. But this may be a silly question, but as a spectator, like I can't skate worth to save my life. I love the game of hockey. I probably should have been born Canadian. I wasn't. Uh, but you mentioned getting hit in the face with a puck. Now, we, we see this. It happens every game. Somebody catches one, a stick, whatnot. I have to ask you, because hockey players, they look like they, t- they come back stitched up, teeth missing, doesn't matter. On a scale of one to shit, how much did that hurt? <laughs> so, all right, you're, you're going to laugh. It, it wasn't bad, and not because I'm tough, because I, I would never want to paint a false picture of myself, because my adrenaline that night was so high from being in my first game that you probably could have taken a brick and banged it off my head and I wouldn't have felt anything. So the adrenaline that you have in those situations, they really do cancel out the pain. They really do. And when that puck hit me in the mouth, it hurt the next day, but there in the moment, it wasn't bad. I had no interest in getting stitches. There was no way I was coming off the ice. There was just no chance nothing. I, it was my first game. They literally would have had to drag me out of there in freaking handcuffs if they were planning on getting me off that bench. So, but I can tell you this, a couple years later, playing in an American League game um, on a Sunday afternoon in Providence, playing against the, um, the Rangers farm team at the time, which was the Connecticut Whalers. I think they're back to being the Wolf Pack now, right? right? Um, they're back being the Hartford Wolf Pack, but they went through that little change for a couple of years. I got stuck in the face uh, by Chris Newberry um, really badly, you know, on accident, but it was like a pitchfork type of situation in, in my face here. That hurt playing when you're playing in a, a Sunday afternoon game, you know, in front of only, you know, 5,000 fans in an American league game and you get stuck in the face like that. It hurts a heck of a lot more than playing in a sold out Pepsi center uh, in your first NHL game, getting hit in the mouth, and then thank God the scoring a few a few minutes later. So um, it never feels good when you get hit in those scenarios. Um, you know the pain is usually worse than than the, in the days after because of the adrenaline that it takes to to play in an NHL game. Um, so it's definitely uh, it's always funny to me to see you know, the difference between how, how NHL guys treat, treat those types of plays versus, you know, really any other sport, you know, major professional sport. I mean, I, I saw, you know, I, I was laughing pretty hard actually um, seeing um, in, in an NBA game the other day, one of the players on the Lakers, you know, was laying on the ground holding his leg. I mean, literally looked like he got shot. And, you know, missed like three minutes, came back into the game, you know, scores 10 baskets. And, you know, I just think of the image of him laying like this, uh, you know, grabbing, 
grabbing the back of his leg. Um, and I, and I just think about like when Greg Campbell had a broken leg and yeah. he stayed on the ice for like 45 seconds, you know, just because he didn't want to leave his team in a bad defensive posture, even though he couldn't do anything, just having his stick out was helpful. It's just, it's just a different mentality. I mean, LeBron James, who is a freak of an athlete, you know, he, he was laying on the ground with, with leg cramps like he just got shot. And I know leg cramps suck, but it's just a different mentality. It's, it's a different type of, uh, you know, scenario, situation, uh, you know, I, I, but I do laugh at it pretty consistently. Bob, Bobby Bond scored a overtime game winning goal for the, for the Toronto Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup on a broken ankle. I think uh, the story goes, he taped, he taped it up, he froze it, and went out and scored an overtime goal on a broken ankle, which is, yeah. it's, that's, just, that's just hockey. Listen, I, I, played, I played two games in the American League on a broken foot because um, the, the original x-ray came back negative, and um, it, it, it was, there was an issue, but the x-ray said it wasn't, it wasn't broken, and after 10, 12 days, um, they were like, you, you got to play. I, Bruce Cassidy was like, the x-ray says you're fine. So like, suck it up. Uh, and I was like, I don't think I'm fine. But like they told, they, you have no choice. Your boss tells you, you got to work. So yeah, I played I a game. I played in Norfolk. Mm -hmm. uh, we played two games in Norfolk. I, I basically was a center fielder. I, I literally, I couldn't put any pressure on my foot. Um, and then when we got back to Providence, I got an MRI and it showed that my foot was broken in two places. So, um, you know, I, I didn't want to play in those games. I was forced to play, but I figured, you know, I just, you sort of just suck it up. And, you know, if I had to rate myself on the scale of one to 10 for being tough as compared to like the guys in the NHL who are very tough, I'm probably on the low end, maybe at like a two or a three, but I still, I just did what I had to do because they told me to play. They told me I had to play. They told me I was fine. Nobody knew that the MRI would show something different than an x-ray. I mean, listen, we have to rely on imaging and modern technology. And, and so and that was the situation. So it sucked, but you just, you know, you kind of do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> you're a tough guy to me, bud. Uh, last question. So you're, you're in the broadcast world now. You talked about it a little bit. You've made the transition, done a great job. I think you're, you're like, you, like anything else, you're going to apply everything you learn. You're going to get better. But there's been some, I'm hoping to get a little insider information from you here now. Let's see if I can, what I can extract. Yeah, if I know it, I'll tell you. <laughs> there's, some, there's been some talk that the NHL is going back to ESPN and you're, you're at ESPN. What do you know? What is this? Is this, I mean, listen, I vividly remember ES, you know, ESPN carrying hockey uh, during the Rangers winning the cup. I remember they were on ESPN. Um, ESPN even had a video game for the sake of Genesis, the CD version, <laughs> mm. <laughs> like with, with like, you know, that song still resonates in my head. I, oh, I, I thought ESPN. Yeah, I thought ESPN. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I, ESPN did oh, a damn great job. Yeah, you guys getting and, it back. So here's what I'll tell you: there is an appetite for hockey at ESPN. A lot of there is a lot of hockey people there at ESPN. Um, a lot of really good hockey people too. And whether it's Butcher Gross or Steve Levy, uh, these guys, their true passion is hockey. Um, now, obviously, Steve Levy's calling Monday Night Football. 
But if, if you had that, you know, his, his true passion is hockey. Linda Cohn, no secret. Right. She's a big Rangers fan. I don't even know Linda. I know most of the hockey people at ESPN. Linda, I don't know. Um, but I know she's a big hockey supporter. So uh, here's what I can tell you. Uh, I, I don't have any inside knowledge. That stuff is so far and above over my head. But obviously, you hear things. I know there's an appetite for hockey at ESPN. I know the NHL wants to diversify their TV deal. And I, and I think that's really important. I think for the growth of hockey, they've got to be on multiple networks because there's a lot of people that don't even get NBC Sports. And NBC's focusing a lot on Peacock, on their new streaming service. Um, the NHL has one more year in their deal with NBC. If I had to guess, my guess would be that ESPN will be involved in the NHL. Um, and just based on like different things that I've heard from different people, they want to be back involved in hockey. I think the NHL wants them back involved. I don't know the scale of it because obviously they've invested a lot of money in the NFL and the NBA. Um, I don't know what effect COVID has, is going to have on that. I think had COVID never happened, had the regular playoffs and, and season gone through and, and, you know, Disneyland hadn't had to close for as long as they've had to close and, and they've had to lay off the amount of people that they've had to lay off. Obviously Disney being the parent company for ABC and ESPN. Um, I don't know if that is going to affect potentially getting back involved with, with the NHL in, in a positive or a negative manner. But I, I do hear the same things you're hearing um, that ESPN is definitely, um, you know, going to look at the at the TV rights deal for the NHL as they do with every sport. And, you know, I think that um, there's a lot of people like you that are hoping that that happens. For me, um, you know, for a couple of reasons, I would I, I hope it happens. A, you're right. I work for ESPN. I you know, they only have one hockey crew right now, and it's me. John Butchagross and Barry Melrose. Um, we work the NCAA tournament as, as sort of the top crew. And then we do the frozen four and the national championship together with Barry and Butchie in the box. And I'm between the glass, you know, obviously lots can change with, with that type of thing. And you know, they would bring in great people, big time names, you know, to be a part of their coverage without a doubt. But so for me personally, I hope they get it because like, yeah, I already worked there. So I would hope to be involved in, in, in the NHL package for ESPN, but also for the growth of the NHL. Like, I just think it's important that multiple networks carry it. Every network has their own. Like when, if you watch the NFL, CBS's show and Fox's show look different. way different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's way different. And I Monday think that that's important. Sunday night Absolutely. Totally they different. have different camera angles. They have different graphics packages. They have different types of things that their producers tell their analysts are important. Um, you know, certain stories are better on one network than other networks. Like for me personally, I'm just used to watching Fox's, Fox's football shows because I grew up watching the Eagles and, you know, the Eagles have always primarily played on Fox. So I'm used to that type of show. So um, I think it would be really good. I think competition always brings out the best in anything. So I think having networks that are competing to be the most watched and the best hockey show, I, I think it's only good for the game. Um, I think we'll, we'll probably start to get a little bit of clarity on that like sooner than later, because I mean, we're getting close to November. So, um, you know, the game's supposed to come back in January. Well, you know, 
depending on when the season ends and, and when it starts even, I mean, I think we're, we'll know about this sooner than later because it's, it's really right around the corner and, and with the new uh, franchise coming into play and, and wanting to make sure that everybody has that new TV revenue pumping into their systems with all of the, you know, the, the, the revenue that people have lost based on the fact that we haven't had fans, we haven't had home games, we lost playoff you know, gate revenue, all that type of stuff, you know, that, that really hurts the league. So, um, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I don't, I don't have any like firsthand, this is what's happening behind the scenes knowledge. I, I don't, I wish I did. I'm not sure if I would be able to share it with you, even if I had that knowledge, but <laughs> I just don't, I don't have the knowledge uh, other than the fact that the people that I work around on the hockey package are all you know, saying the same things, hearing the same things. And usually when everybody's hearing the same things, you know, they're, they're hearing it from somewhere. Well, if it does come back or if you have any say, just please tell them they've got to bring the song back. Yeah. They've got to bring that intro back. I promise you I will have no say, but um, <laughs> I, I, I also promise you if it does come back, the song will be involved because they do use the song on the Sum of the College and the Frozen Four coverage because it is so well known. So awesome. that I can tell you, the song will be involved. I will have no say. Those are for <laughs> sure. All right, Coley, we're wrapping up. If you want to just plug your Twitter handle and anything else, go for it, buddy. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm not interested in that. So. <laughs> you know what? Please don't follow I don't, me. Yeah, yeah, I don't need Ranger I, fans I mean, coming listen, at me. The, the uh, last time I tweeted something about the Rangers, it was about Anthony D'Angelo, and people are sending me death threats. So do me oh, a favor. Oh, God help you. I'm don't, so sorry. If you've got negative things to say to me, just say, save yourself the follow and the aggravation because Twitter, I'm sure I'm just, you know. Twitter so. is such an awful app, man. It's just I, I mean, I, I, I try to explain to people, I, I'm paid to analyze hockey. That's it. <laughs> I don't, I'm not on the DNC or the RNC. So whatever a guy believes in politically, it's not my job to evaluate. I'm, I, I really, I'm supposed to evaluate hockey players and hockey teams. Uh, and, and that's really it. And so, it, you know, sorry if you don't like that I'm, you know, talking about a hockey player that, you know, you don't agree with his politics. I, I don't care. I, that's not my job. I hear you, buddy. All right, Colby, thank you so much for joining me. And everyone, I hope you enjoyed this show. Uh, remember, foreverblueshirts.com. Get the latest Rangers news and insight. And also check out the dailygoalhorn.com. That's where I'm covering the NHL. Uh, we're getting new writers all the time. I just got Posse Tuman in to come in. He did an article on Michael Granlin for me. Uh, so there you go, folks. Thanks again for joining.